In this episode, we talk to Mazamir about his experiences coming to the UK from Kenya to study and the differences he saw in communities at home and abroad. We also talk about the variances he noticed between communities in London and Manchester, as well as the Asian-Kenyan experience. We spoke about topics visited in prior episodes, but this time from a different perspective, trying to gauge how foreign students might view our own communities from the outside. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, I think that RT unit we bought might have been stolen. What makes you think that? Oh, I stumbled across a recording while I was cleaning him. He says he belongs to someone called Obi-Wan Kenobi. I thought he might have meant old Ben. Do you know what he's talking about? Hmm. Oh, I wonder if he's related to Ben. That wizard's just a crazy old man. Tomorrow I want you to take that archer unit to anchor head and have its memory erased. That'll be the end of it. It belongs to us. But what if this Obi-Wan comes looking for? He won't. I don't think he exists anymore. He died about the same time as your father. He knew my father? I told you to forget it. Your only concern is to prepare those new droids for tomorrow. In the morning, I walk them up there on the South Ridge working on those condensers. I think those new droids are going to work out fine. In fact, I, uh, also thinking about our agreement, about me staying on another season. And if these new droids do work out, I want to transmit my application to the Academy this year. You mean the next semester before the harvest? Sure, there's more than enough droids. Harvest is when I need you the most. Only one season more. This year, we'll make enough on the harvest that I'll be able to hire some more hands, and then you can go to the Academy next year. You must understand, I need you, you lose. But it's a whole nother year. Look, it's only one more season. Yeah, she said when the big tank left. Where are you going? Looks like I'm going nowhere. I have to go finish cleaning those droids. Oh, and he can't stay here forever. Most of his friends have gone. It means so much to him. I'll make it up to him next year. I promise. <laughs> Luke's just not a farmer, only. He has too much of his father in him. That's what I'm afraid of. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Wax Lyrical. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, you're here with me, Isa, and uh, our good friend, Mohammed Shoeikh. Say hello to everyone, Mohammed. Assalamu alaikum. Prefer to use that greeting. Um, oh, well, um, sure. It's, it's, been a, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a It's been a while. Um, what's it been, like six, six, seven months? No, probably even longer than that. Six, yeah. seven months? It's been... This, as far as I saw, it's been two years since the last recording. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, a bit longer than six, seven months. Yeah, a lot of things have happened in the last year and a half. Um, I don't think we'll be able to run through it, all of them, but of course the most uh, significant of that was the lockdown and all the corona-related things, which has to kind of which has kind of improved our ability to to create these podcasts. And inshallah, we should be a bit more consistent with um how we handle these going forward um but like we had a topic for today so do you want to kind of introduce that and maybe introduce our guest so today we have uh, a bit of an uh, interesting perspective uh we've spoken before on the podcast about um kind of our own perspectives on uh, Muslims in the university life Muslims kind of uh, engaging with 
the community here in the in the UK. Um, but we wanted to get a kind of outsider perspective, kind of uh, see what other people might think of and how they engage with the community and what their thoughts are about the university life and mm-hmm. a few other things as well. So we have with us uh, Moazim Mir, uh, a good friend of mine. We are actually, funny enough, Moazim, we're distantly related, right? I think we're all distantly related in some strange way. Like when you go back and actually think about it, it gets a bit disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's true, but we we have a special connection by way of uh, Kenya. We are uh, we are both from Kenya. Uh, Moazim is I, in Kenya currently, my, born and raised. My grandmother um, is like the cousin of your cousin. Or something yeah. like that, yeah. <laughs> Second cousin or something. It's really, it's really, um, really weird and like odd and random. It's, it's so funny how we met. Um, I think what happened was I was, um, I was in Birmingham for um, a Shema'il retreat, and it was in 2017. And I met this guy who I briefly knew. Um, okay, so a, of a, a bit of context, I was living in London at, at the time doing um. A master's degree and so i met this guy who i knew from manchester a little bit like briefly um at gumkol sharif in birmingham and uh he goes to me he goes all right so you're kenyan right and i'm like yeah i'm kenyan and for those who can't see my face because it's a podcast i'm a brown <laughs> guy so isa is also a brown guy if you've been watching I, listening to this podcast from the beginning this is true i yes. am and he's also a Kashmiri guy. Which is also what Moazim is, incidentally. Incidentally. And so I met this guy and he goes, oh, I know a guy from Kenya. And I'm like, okay. And then I was like, what's he going to say next? And he goes, and he's like you. And I'm like, uh, okay, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, he's an Asian guy. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. That makes sense. He goes, um, let me send you his his um, Instagram details and then you guys can add each other. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he's, he sends me this guy's details. And it actually, I spent some weeks before I messaged this guy. And um, I finally go, oh, right, there's that Kenyan guy. Um, let me see what he's about. So I add the guy on Instagram and he, um, like, he immediately adds me back. And who is he? He's Isa's cousin, Shakir. <laughs> and so I, I message this guy and the, the guy is like, like kind of apprehensive when I'm like, like going up to him, are you Kenyan? Are you so and so? Are you from here? And he's he goes yes, yes. Like I I don't know. He thought maybe I I was coming with some beef or something, and then it turns out that we are from the same street, like the same, the same street. Our same families street. literally live on the same street. <laughs> it was in, so in Nairobi. Bizarre. That is. It was so bizarre, and I had never heard of these people in my life, and we're somehow related. And I found out about this this guy. To some random person from Manchester, <laughs> the guy probably didn't even know that. Like, I mean, he would have not, not known that I I know this guy. So I became friends with um with Shakir, and um he invites me. No, 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 no. Um, we were then both going to like some uh, Ramadan some some thing. some Muslimic event. A Muslimic yeah. event in Ramadan where there was lots of food, and that's why I showed up. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, okay, it's, um, I'm going to wear my new red hat today. It was the first time I wore that red hat. I like that red hat. It's from Tunisia. <laughs> and 
I, w- I showed up and I greet this guy, Shocker. And he's like, wait until you meet my cousin. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Um, introduce me to your cousin. And he rocks me up to this other brown guy in a red hat. And he turns around and it's Isa. And he goes, nice hat. And the rest is history. <laughs> you know, it's really true what they say that when women like see each other wearing the same clothes, they hate each other. And when guys see each other in the same clothes, they become best friends. Because I was like, any guy with a hat like that must be a really cool guy. And like, yeah, the rest, the rest is history. I mean, it's, it's, it's as they say, right? Birds of a feather flock together. But I mean, um, you know, like what we wanted to do today was to get kind of your insight um on coming to the UK i mean kind of your experiences here with the muslims and kind of seeing uh, you know your kind of impressions i mean i think kind of just off the bat you know before you came to the UK did you like you yourself did you have any sort of uh, impressions of the UK or the kind of muslim community in the UK at all or did you even did you have the chance to visit the UK before you came for your extended period where you kind yeah. of studied for two degrees right yeah, I mean, I I was gonna start with that actually. I think that's a good place to start. So, um, I had visited the UK prior, and um, I had some connection with the UK. It's really funny. Um, so, I have a really big family, uh, and <clears throat> much of my family on both both sides of my parents, my mom's side and my dad's side, um, left Kenya at different points and for different reasons and they moved across the world and many of them settled in the UK right so I had a lot of relatives in the UK and so I visited the UK and I also had them visiting like um, uh, throughout my life so I, I had a, mm. I had a strong impression like I, I knew about about the UK I had met people from the UK. I was related to people from the UK. I visited the UK and I, I saw, you know, differences in culture in, in like different cities. But I was, you know, visiting and like also knowing people and meeting people. It's never the same as living there. You know, you pick mm. up you pick up a lot of social cues. You learn like you know nuances in the culture. You see. Um, developments happening in like uh, and trends happening so i mean i think i think knowing about a place and not knowing about it like um really isn't all that different because when you move when you move somewhere like it's almost a completely different experience i mean i i know that i moved to the uk with people who had never been to the uk before and in some ways i was just as lost as them man I was just as lost as them. And I mean, I think, look, this whole thing about like um, university being where, I mean, right at the start, you're trying to find your feet or like trying to discover, you know, this or that. I think that's that's 10 times more difficult when you're like an international student, even if you're mm. even if you're familiar with the country or with the language or whatever or whatever. Was it was it always kind of your plan or your family's plan that eventually, once you finished whatever kind of system you have in, in Kenya, that you'd eventually go to uh, the UK and study, or did that just uh, happen as a, as a matter of chance? Or oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I I um, I've had a I've had an interesting life in terms of like my 
intellectual development. There was a point when I was I was thinking, am I even going to finish high school? And then when I, I was thinking, <laughs> am I even going to go to university? So like when this opportunity came for me to like study like in the UK, I was like, oh wow, okay, I'm I'm going to go be an international student now. Like okay, let's let's you know see what all this is about. So I mean, it's not like I was I it was it was something that I knew people did. I knew a lot of people who did it, and I and I heard stories about what it's like. Um, what it's like when people go there, what it's like when people come back. But I, I, you know, I think growing up, you never actually think about, I'm going to do this until you're actually there. And you're like, oh my God, I'm actually yeah. here now. Like, um, and I think it's, it's university, it's work, it's many things in life that you know are there, but like, um, you don't actually think about yourself in, 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 in that situation. That's, that's so true. I remember thinking that, um, I'm not going to go to university and then I ended up going to university and then I thought, you know, okay, I I don't know if I'm going to do what I'm going to do after this. Then I did my master's and then after that, I didn't know. And then I got a job and, you know, alhamdulillah kind of just, kind of just worked out. Um, obviously there was a kind of general plan, but I mean, it's, it's, you don't tend to believe that that's what you're going to achieve until like you're kind of in the thick of it, I guess. Yeah. Was, was this, um, Coming to the UK, was there anything in particular that kind of stood out for you as surprising, or did you kind of expect what you what you experienced when you first arrived? Was there any kind of culture shock? Because interestingly, you're coming from Kenya, um, and but your you kind of your your background, like ethnically, is Asian, um, and there's a whole discussion that can happen about kind of the Asian <laughs> Asian community in Kenya and and their move over to the UK. But yeah, was there any kind of cultural shock for you? Because obviously it's a similar kind of makeup for you because in Asia, there's a large Asian community, which is, of course, you're situated in. But when you're coming to the UK, you also have a large Asian community as well. Was that comforting or how did you find that whole process? It may depend on kind of what city you went to and uh, what university you studied at. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, there's so much to like, I mean, looking back, you know, they say like um, hindsight is twenty twenty, And like looking back, yeah. there's so much... Um, that can be said about who I was at that point in my life, what my experiences were up till that point, what was going on in the world and in the UK and in the city that I moved into and the people I met. And there, there's just so much to discuss. I think I was um, somewhat, in, in some, some regards, I think I was, I, I was, I think I was somewhat bred to understand things about the UK. I had studied, um, like my entire life, I had studied, a, I had done a British education in Kenya. And there mm. are a lot of people who do that. So we have, you know, the, the Kenyan education system, and then you have other education systems. People do French education systems, people do German education systems, uh, the IB, you know, the International uh, Baccalaureate. Baccalaureate, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I did what people in the UK did. I did... Um, GCSEs, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. So I mean, so I you're you, mm -hmm. you're like kind of in, you're entirely familiar with the kind of primary school, secondary school, then the two years of sixth form, and then university. Is that how you did things? Yeah. So I mean, we didn't have that. That that really that confused the hell out of me. Like I mean, I remember when I when I finished um, when I finished my uh, IGCSEs, and so that's year eleven, right? And I got like I was talking to some of my relatives in the UK, and they were like, "Oh, so you've done really well now. So are you going to college?" And I, I, I at that point, I was like, 
wait, college? No, I'm in year 11. I, you know, I, I thought of college like how the Americans think of college, right? Yeah. Like university. So I was like, no, I'm not going to college. I'm, I'm, you know, I still have year 12 and year 13 left. And then they were like, you know, I, from their perspective, they were like, okay, but it's the same thing. So it, it was kind of weird. But yeah, nevertheless, I mean, um, in terms of curriculum and um, pedagogy, and I think also some of the worldview that's um, departed from some of these educations, this education system, I think I was somewhat prepared for some of, you could say, intellectual philosophies and like um, culture. Uh, I mean, I, I I learned about like since primary school, I I learned um, I learned about like the Tudors, for example, mm. right? I yeah. learned about Henry the Eighth. Um, really relevant stuff. Yeah, really relevant to Kenya. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a completely different discussion. And then um, I think someone who had a big impact on my life um, was a teacher of mine in year ten, and she is Kenyan, but she had practiced like teaching in the UK for several years. So she had come back and she was like prepping us for like what the UK was like. And I, and I learned a lot of like British street slang from her weirdly (laughs) enough, like safe mandem. Like I learned that in year 10 from, from a Kenyan teacher. So, I mean, globalization. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, And she was like, and she, she had this thing where she, well, she was Catholic, but she had this thing where she was really, big on um trying to understand like the the situation in the uk with secularization and at that Mm. point when you're in your 10 i don't think you really like these things don't really like play in your mind especially if you've grown up in a society like kenya where like um the christian people are really christian and the muslim people are really muslim and they're living together in harmony and the government is secular but we have muslim courts and it's just in some ways, a really ideal setup. Like it's so mm. weird thinking about it now that I lived in a in a, in a society like like the UK. I, I mean, I remember before. So I practice at a law firm, right? Yeah. And I remember some uh, weeks before, like the Corona stuff happened, um, like you know, with the lockdown and everything. I used to go to court with my colleagues, right, in like this um, in our office transport. And I remember one day on the way back my colleagues are debating the Bible and like, cause a lot of them were Christian and they were like debating, like they were like, you know, throwing down verses and um, uh, they were discussing which version of the Bible something is in. And then, they, and I was thinking this would never happen. And I work at a big law firm, like an international law firm. And I was thinking this would never happen um, with a bunch of solicitors, you know, like at the Canary Wharf or something or central London, like, there's completely no religion like in the UK, although the UK calls itself a Christian country. So she was really prepping us and like um, some of the Muslim students as well, like for like some of the Islamophobia that we might encounter in um, the the UK. So I was like, okay, this stuff, I learned that this stuff is real and um, uh, Muslims have an interesting cultural experience in the UK. And then um, later on, I think when I was in year 12 and a bit more mature, and I think I had a slightly more vigorous intellectual awakening from different sources, I then had one history teacher who was really influential on my life. And um, I learned a lot about like the flaws in Eurocentric worldview from him. 
especially in regards to things like you know colonialism and uh, hit, like in history and stuff like that. So I I I I came to to learn about like um, where a lot of like you could say the inferiority complex that some of the quote unquote people of color might have in the UK versus some of the like um, privilege um, that some of the non-people of color would have in the UK. And so so I, I, I came into the UK sort of understanding what um, some, some of these cultural nuances. And then also you have to understand I like the world is so globalized at this point that, I mean, I was watching YouTube videos of like what was then, I mean, this term did exist back then, but like what became YouTube Muslim influencers and like mm. you know, street dies and stuff. So I, 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 I was aware of things that were happening in like speaker's corner and, and, and that kind of stuff. So I could, I, I, I had an idea of like what was going on in, in, in the country, like with Muslims and, um, I knew about the Dawa scene. I knew about like the, you know, like the comedy scene. Diary for Batman was um, big back. Yeah, that was it was it was a big thing back then. I I remember like like some of the people I went to school with were like watching Diary of a Batman. It sounds so strange now that like like school kids in Nairobi were watching Diary of a Batman. Um, so then I came to the UK and ISIS happened. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a thing. That I had to also adapt to because, like, um, I was never, I never felt scared about like what about my religion or like I, I never felt otherized growing up, even though I never really grew up in a Muslim majority country. Because you could yeah. say like Islam in Kenya is so deeply entrenched. Like the Muslim community in Kenya is older than the Christian community by centuries, although it's smaller, right? And, yeah. Um, and there's there, there there really isn't this this whole concept of like um an us versus them where like um this culture is backward or like um these people are different and they're coming here or they want to take over or they want to do this because i think in kenya firstly everybody's everyone's like we're just african and we're all we've always been here and like nobody you know there's that that in that idea of like the white man's burden really isn't a thing so like muslims don't really i mean look there has been unfortunate instances and incidences of discrimination against muslims in kenya but i feel like it's the kind of stuff that could happen anywhere but like the systemic stuff or like um the way that muslims in the uk felt like their you know backs were against the ropes when i moved to so i mean i moved to the uk I i lived in manchester this was 2014 and um around that time there was this aid worker from Manchester who traveled to Syria and unfortunately he got kidnapped by um, ISIS and he was executed by ISIS and um, it was, yeah. And at that time I could feel this tension within the Muslim community in the UK and um, I could also feel tension from like some of my non-muslim classmates and stuff it was it was just really strange i had never actually felt that felt this but i I think it's something that people must have like some people must have just been grown some some people must have grown up um experiencing it because i had never actually felt different for being muslim in kenya but suddenly i 
it dawned on me that hold on i'm muslim like like it's 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 it's, it's and, and suddenly my 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 um my religious identity is something that people see first because I, that was never really what people saw first growing up here and i realized this isn't just the case with like many non-muslims i realized it was the case with like many muslims like i the next thing that i was um the next thing that i was i know that you guys like to keep things very neutral and i'm going to try to keep it neutral as well but the next thing i i experienced was like um a lot of the sectarianism in in mm. in the uk that was not really i mean i i understood what my religious beliefs were in kenya i knew that other muslims had other religious beliefs i didn't agree with a lot of them but when i got to the uk i was like okay i'm going to go find the muslim society here like you know when i got to uni and like like many other uni students were doing that at the time and i was it was so weird finding out they were, that they were like four isocs at the university of manchester and um i was like okay now which isoc do i join so there was one just called the islamic society and then there was one that was um called the medina society and this one was like very like pro molid and like um tasawuf and that kind of stuff and then the, the regular isoc was just like a, a regular isoc so i was like okay but can i get this stuff in that as well because that's what it was like for me like i i never saw like to me things were like the full package like growing up there wasn't this hard line between you know x and y where where literally someone comes up to you in the mosque and says are you x or are you y are you this or are you that like that never or when someone sees you praying and he comes and tells you brother are you praying like x or y it it just it was just really strange like people wanting yeah. to know what your manhaj was and and i think i think the reason for the uk being like that is is that the uk is very much like this melting point melting pot rather of like people from different parts of the world and they've all come with like different understandings of different things and then because the uk is like so central like in in, in the world you have a lot of intellectual activity going on whether it's good or bad intellectual activity is another thing and then there's also a lot of freedom for people to have intellectual activity and like in some muslim countries where a lot of this stuff is banned and so you have a lot of like competing interests and um yeah it was just it was just really weird like um a few months <clears throat> after i moved to the uk it was rabiul awal and um i know that like in kenya some people didn't do the maulid some people did the maulid and i i knew that there was disagreements but like you know people go do the maulid people don't do the maulid and life carries on but this whole stuff about i think the first time i had ever heard the word refutation was in the uk i had never i didn't yeah. know this word existed in my life until i lived in the uk and i visited some mosques and I, and i was like oh this is we we need to refute the people who do x or we need to refute the people who don't do y it was just really strange i mean i don't know what to say it was just a really strange experience that that people have this sort of like um defensive gang war style like or turf war style islam like yeah it was it was it was different for me man it was very confusing especially at the start so so when you came to the the UK um it seems as though kind of you had kind of in some ways you had kind of cushioned landing in terms of you had experienced it through kind of virtual social media elements and you were kind of familiar with characters that were 
in the UK scene uh, per se. Um, and then when you arrived, you were kind of faced with this kind of sectarian um, problem that I think a lot of people are, are troubled by as well. Um, did what, So what was your like immediate response to that? So of course, imagine you're, you're Muslim and you've just come you come just off you come off the plane in from Kenya and you land in the UK and you've got kind of your amenities sorted in your your house what was the first thing that you had tried to go and look out for did you try and find your local mosque or what were your what was your thinking yeah i mean there were two there were two things um in terms of like my deen that i that i was like i need to i need to figure this out as quickly as possible and i actually based my um living plans on this and a was i got to find a halal butchery or something close by because mm. yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna have to fuss about like getting meat every week right so, from somewhere far away so i i did that and then naturally and this this thing came naturally there was a masjid nearby right so as soon as i i moved in i was like okay i need to go find the local mosque and so i went to the local mosque and then another 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 trend slash phenomena that i realized in the uk is this this whole ethnic mosque concept like i had never ever experienced this and you know it's really funny because i'm i'm a muslim in in this country but like i'm a minority within the muslim community in terms of like ethnicity because most muslims in this country are you know it's sub-saharan africa right so you know most muslims are black and um you have in kenya you have like you know you have black muslims you have arab muslims you have swahili muslims uh, you have Asian Muslims, you have, um, and you have a lot of people from, you know, you know, expat countries. So, I mean, I, one of the country, I mean, one of the masjids I used to attend when I was younger had a lot of Indonesian Muslims attending. Uh, we had some Muslims from West Africa, um, you know, Muslims from Sudan. This whole, I had never in my entire life felt that like, I'm anything other than a Muslim when I'm in the masjid. I think this is what it was intended to be. Like, I remember um, one summer, I used to, like, you know, when I was a kid, in my local neighborhood, I used to see this cop. And, like, I mean, I, you know, just a cop doing his thing, like, walking about, you know, making sure everything's okay. And I used to see him, like, for a week. And then Friday came, and I was at Friday prayer. And I go and sit down. And who's the guy sitting next to me? It's that cop. And I did, I couldn't, you know, I didn't know he was Muslim or anything. Like, I mean... He he was just a guy, but like I think in the UK, this thing sticks out a, a little bit more that oh this person's a Muslim, and then then it's only further exasperated that oh he's he's oh he's oh he's Pakistani, oh okay you know he's Bang- he's Bengali. This is something that I was asked a lot when I would go to the masjid like oh are you Pakistani, and then I'd be like no, and then they'd be like oh are you Bengali, and I'll be like no, and it, it just felt really strange for me at that point because I. This ethnic stuff, like, it was so secondary for me growing up. And suddenly I moved to the UK and I hear that someone says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to head off to the, to the Malaysian mosque. Oh, yeah, this, yeah. this Friday, this Friday, I think I should attend the Turkish mosque. And interestingly enough, it's a Turkish guy who says this, or it's a Malaysian guy who says this. So I, I was, you know, I was like, you know, what's up? What's up with this? And then I went to my local masjid. So that's the masjid that I told you was the masjid that i picked that was close to you know where i lived and um this was the first time in my life that i walked into a masjid that was full of other asian people 
and I felt like a complete alien. It was so it was so bizarre. Like um, you know, I walk in and like there's all these Asian people about. Um, had a very different vibe in the sense like it didn't even feel like a masjid and um yeah i mean the khatib was speaking in 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 urdu i think this is oh, this was years ago and yeah it just felt really it felt really strange like um i didn't feel like i it was very much a community mosque i didn't feel like i was i was like um seen or um you know heard or any and then i started noticing that other muslims also had certain experiences. So this, so for example, I made friends with like you know black Muslims. I made friends with um, white Muslims, and like some of my black Muslim friends are like, yeah, I experienced racism in Pakistani mosques, and to me that was so weird because I'm an Asian person growing up, going to you know masajid, some of them predominantly African, and I've never experienced anything like this. So, I mean, I, I don't know what it is about. I think, you know, I think what it is to me is that people from different countries sort of moved to the UK and then what they wanted the masjid to be was to feel like a slice of home as opposed to yeah. as opposed to like a place for people of the same faith to congregate. And so, you know, when, interesting. Mm-hmm. It- yeah. yeah go ahead. Interestingly, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, I did an article once, um, an, an interview with a, with a guy who is he was Moroccan, but he lived in Japan, and he was talking about the same phenomenon where it even happens in Japan that an Asian, um, uh, for example, an Indian would move to Japan, uh, they would begin a small community, and then their mosque would be an Indian mosque, and the same thing would happen with um, uh, uh, Indonesians who moved to Japan. They did the same thing. And he was saying that, in fact, it actually is kind of off-putting for the natives that are there, um, that for they sure. would actually rather ha- just 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 to sh- kind of just looking at the architecture can put someone off, um, and sure. the way a mosque looks and the community. Um, but of, it's interesting that you felt so alien, even though you you kind of you are ethnically Asian, going back quite a few generations, and you you speak Urdu as far as I'm aware, um, but you still felt alien in, in that environment. Um, and I, I just think how difficult that would be for people who are like totally like native English, etc. You know, I mean, I feel like there was a for me there was like a double or like even a triple thing uh, of like um, cultural clash because okay, you have to remember I'm not a British Asian, I'm not um, an Asian Asian, yeah, I'm African, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm yeah, African. Yeah. I I I identify as African, and I'll tell you I'm African. And yeah. after that, if you ask me, okay, but like, where are you from? I'll tell you that my ancestors were from Kashmir. And then you'll ask me, oh, but are you Indian or Pakistani? And I'll tell you, no, my ancestors were from Kashmir, right? And then after that, I'll tell you my two parents were from Jannah. And I think at the end of the day, you have to just go back to that. You just have to go back to that because there's so many, so many questions. I remember um, it was really weird. Like I, 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 um, I attended an event with like Indians and Pakistanis, and when they found out I was Kashmiri, they, they started fighting over me. It was so weird. Yeah, it was so bizarre. So I mean, I feel like I feel like this, this, like um, 
this whole this whole cultural ethnic thing like another thing that i that i had heard about let me just use this example because i think this example sums it up the best and i had never ex- thought i had never in my wildest dreams would i have thought about this when i was growing up in kenya i found out that like there was you, you have in you've had instances in the uk of like people of like bengali origin and pakistani origin or like pakistani origin and afghan origin going about the streets like stabbing each other because they're from another country like to me that was so the, the idea of that was just so strange because i mean to me i was thinking okay okay they're muslims they're asians like that's enough i i i mean like it was just so weird thinking that that people would move to 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 the uk and and like you know behave this way because i was growing up i always thought i was always taught like there's this di- there's this dichotomy between like you could say people of color or like asians and like white people so yeah it was just it was just really weird and then like there was also the um there was also like some of the backhanded compliments that i'd get or like some of the really um ignorant slash racist questions that i'd get so like for example someone 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 goes um so where are you from and i go i'm from kenya and that person goes you don't look kenyan and then i i was like okay um i'm sorry i forgot my running shoes or something <laughs> like that because i mean what does kenyan look like i think this person is just trying to say you know you don't look black and this happened to me as well like when i was in london somebody somebody asked me where you from i said i'm from kenya and this person goes i thought everyone from kenya was black and like the yeah. way they said black was so otherizing but yeah. the thing yeah the thing is like you know africa is not a color it's a continent <laughs> the funny thing is a lot of these people who who say this to me themselves were like you know people of color so i really don't know how how such thing such like thoughts came into their mind because I, then i you know the response to that is um uh you know where are you from and the if he's a british asian guy or something or a pakistani guy he'd go oh i'm from leicester then i would you know go oh but i thought everyone from leicester is white like do you see how silly that is yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's also there's also um another element in the uk of course because for you to consider in that there's already a migrant kenyan population and that's exemplified in isa as well in that there were people who lived in kenya and and for the past two he says the he says huh? the paradigm like it's completely exemplified in isa he's he's uh he's our um, he's our standard yeah isa i mean it's it's funny because we've spoken about this before on the podcast the kind of like nature of my relationship with my sort of kenyan identity but i guess it's 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 uh it's an interesting one because as you you say that you know if someone asks you you you'll just say you know you're african or you're a kenyan but as i've i've kind of discussed it before on the podcast like that's not that's that's not really how i'd say it how i'd see it um because the simplest thing for me to say just state my ethnicity rather than this place that uh two generations of my family kind of settled in do you know what i mean yeah but you know we're like you and i are friends and i've told you this so many times and i'm going to repeat it again you are so much more kenyan than you realize it's ridiculous like you are so i, I don't even and like um like even some of your family members you guys are so kenyan so i really think it's like rubbed off on you i think i think one thing that you've cuz you hold on to your um kashmiriness a little bit more is because you've probably been to kashmir more times than i have um your your mom is kashmiri right like for me like um my mom was you know born and raised in mombasa my dad was born and raised in nairobi 
same with my grandparents and stuff. So, I mean, I know that I'm Kashmiri. We know we're Kashmiri. But um, if somebody then starts asking us about Kashmiri culture or like that kind of stuff, we wouldn't really know much to say because like my, my I know my great, great, grandparents were, were were in Kenya so then how 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 much how, how Kashmiri can I be but then at the same time I have so much to explain to people when they when they ask me okay so you know so are, are you really Kenyan are you really this are you really that but like I can understand for you why it's um easy for you to identify it's easier for you to identify as Kashmiri I- I think the way that I perhaps look at the world um, and the way that I was kind of brought up probably reflects that kind of um, Kenyan or African upbringing. But that's just because I've been raised around like my father's side of the family, right? And for them, Kashmir is, as as for you, a few generations back. Yeah, it's um, a concept. Exactly. It's it's something that they know, they recognize, but it's not something that is experienced. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like it's not something experienced on a day-to-day level. Um, their Kenyanness is, though. Yeah, and even even my my, I'm sure. Like I think I have met some of your family members, and um, and I think this has rubbed off on you a little bit as well. But like even your experience of Islam, like is a very Kenyan experience of Islam, as, and I think you can you can like some of the stuff I was mentioning earlier on, um. I'm sure you can kind of relate to some of that stuff as well because I can, I know you, I know like your 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 family members. You haven't got this experience of Islam that's very much rooted in like the subcontinent the way a lot of British Asians might might have, like from you know from Pakistan or from India or something. Yeah, I mean it, that that that's kind of what I'm what I attribute to Kenya and that kind of upbringing. It's that um, the. Uh, that is, I would definitely say that that's what I would incline towards. I think for everyone, like even even Mishrech, like he could even, I think you, even you would say that there is a sort of sort of a side that you would incline towards. I mean, you being someone from, you know, from 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 Libya and from Pakistan, that perhaps not like to the greatest extent, but I think, do you think that even you would say that there is an, a side that you would incline towards? Perhaps that's what's influenced your kind of outlook as a Muslim. Yeah, I, I think there there's definitely influences, but there's nothing to do with my ethnicity. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but what I, I was interested to ask about was like your interactions with Kenyans in the UK. Did you did you have a chance to meet? Were they were they the first people that you spoke to? What do you mean, like when I got to the UK? Like, did you attend a Kenyan mosque? Did you, or was it just a? Um... Because well, I'm thinking, if I if I was to land in a foreign country, the first thing that I'll look for is something that's familiar to me. Um, d- did you feel like you needed to do that, or were you kind of happy to kind of be a youthful explorer and just figure out what Islam's like in the UK? Yeah, I think the youthful explorer. I mean, I I I still think I'm like that. I I, I want to explore. I want to figure stuff out. But at the same time, I I was comfortable because I knew I look. I had I had relatives in the UK. I had family members in the UK. So I mean, I didn't mm. feel like I was in a completely different place but i mean i knew that i was coming to i was coming to the uk to study whatever i came to study but at the same time i was like i want to experience like some of the cuz i you know like i said from the internet and stuff i had seen that there was a lot of interesting and i'll use the word interesting there was a lot of interesting um activities happening in the uk when it when it comes to like muslim culture and like um 
well, there's a lot of polemics. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to, I just wanted to, like, I was, my, my, my curiosity was, was tickled and I wanted to experience what that was like. So I, but interesting, yeah. well, interestingly enough, you ended up, I think one of your, one of the best relationships that you kind of took out of your time in the UK was with two Kenyans, essentially. Yeah, so and, you had Isa and, and, I mean, I met these guys towards the end of like my time in the UK, like in the last six months of me living in the UK is when I met these guys out of like four years. So, I mean, you can't really, I can't really like um, build, I mean, I, as much as I love like having met these guys, I can't really like, like say, oh yeah, this was like um, uh, the, 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 the defining moment because it was like towards the end of my time in the UK. I met, made friends from like um, all over. I had made, I had Kenyan friends in in the UK and I think, for a lot of the time I had so yeah funny enough my probably my best friend in uni who I spent majority of my time with was um another Kenyan guy on my course in first year so I mean like I met him in first year I met him on the first week and he's from Nairobi I'm from Nairobi so I mean naturally we were inclined he wasn't Muslim he wasn't Muslim but yeah naturally we were inclined yeah and um like there was, there's never, I mean, there isn't any tension in that sense. Like, he's he's a Catholic guy. Um, he knew, like, I do my thing. <clears throat> yeah. he, like, he knew, like, okay, I'm off to pray, I'm off to pray. He would go to church on Sundays. Like, I mean, he had a Bible in his, in his, um, in his flat and stuff. Uh, but, like, yeah, there was, we, we understood each, we understood far, 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 far more about each other's cultures and, like, each other's, like, um, you know backgrounds like he had muslim friends um in in kenya so like in that sense like there was really no religious difference i felt i felt more comfortable with him than i felt with white catholics i would say yeah there's also um uh, so you spent the first three years of your time in the uk in manchester right mm -hmm. and then the remainder of your time was in london uh-huh is that correct? Yeah. So that's also an interesting thing that maybe we could touch on as well in terms of um, there's definitely a distinction that I felt living oh, in the UK for huge. 20 or 20 odd years, that there's a there's a quite a difference in terms of how Muslim communities interact with each other. Um, the I think the London scene is more diverse, uh, more kind of cosmopolitan. And then as you move up north, you kind of get more of that. Um, what's the word without being um, offensive? Um, there's a kind of a concentration of communities. Um, and if you could use ghettoization in a, pot in a, in a positive term, um, you kind of get that up north. I'm not sure if that's exactly a present in Manchester per se, but like, how, how did you find moving from London, uh, moving from Manchester to London? Um, did you see a big distinction there? Absolutely, man. Like, absolutely what you're like what you're saying i felt it like completely oh, well okay actually you know what um i think yeah i think you know i think yeah that diversity you can find exactly what you have in the north in london exactly mm. what you have in the in in like the north in london and then some like you can find all that stuff you've mentioned in 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 the north in london and there's still so much other stuff you can find what do you mean in terms of the kind of people? Yeah, in terms of the, the the kind of people, the, the you know the, the their practice of Islam, their practice of like like this like this ethnic mosque um, phenomenon. But then at the same time, you have some mosques in London where like you have people from like uh, you know 
Senegal and somebody from um, Morocco and somebody from uh, Pakistan and somebody from Malaysia and they're all at the same masjid and it's like you know, they're just chilling and then they're also doing like a lot of the cutting edge um, uh, you know they're riding the, the latest trends and keeping up with like the latest pop culture trends and at the same time they're holding on to their dean and then at the same time you have this really I, I mean I don't even know if I should call it conservative but you have this like really conservative lot in London who are like completely the opposite and um, they're like not associating with any of that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I mean, I I I don't want to name any um, any movement. Just you know, so that I don't feel like it doesn't sound like I'm signaling anyone out or stereotyping anyone. But like up, I think okay, up north you do have this this communal thing a lot more, and. Um, the, the 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 Muslim community is is based around communalism and and communityism and like um you could say like little pockets and little societies in the UK it's more about ideologies or or more about like movements and and trends that people associate with as opposed to like um you know communities also I'm from this I'm from this city in Pakistan, and so I'm gonna rule with these people. in in the In London, I think it's more of, oh, I um, I follow, I incline towards this school of thought. So I'm gonna. And interestingly enough, it depends also a lot on which end of um, London you are. So, like, you could say, you could almost stereotype, oh yeah, people from East London are like, are like the Muslims from East London are like this. The Muslims in West London are like this. You know, the Muslims in South London are like this. So yeah, I think I noticed that as well. So yeah, this it's like incredibly diverse. I have a lot of like, um, like I I I really am interested in seeing like the like the the progress and the movement of the Muslim community in London in like the next twenty years. I think it's going to be really interesting. I I, I would agree too. As and I was just trying to think of kind of add my two cents to that. Of course, living in London for so long, but I don't think I could actually summarize clearly where the different groups are within. London because there are so many and and it's so diverse and there are movements to kind of divide people and there are movements to unite people and there's everything else in, in between that as well. Uh, did you ever have the chance to go to Regent's Park? Because I think that's a kind of cultural landmark. Regent's Park Mosque? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, my I, Actually, I remember um, going there with my dad and um, so, I mean, my dad's Kenyan and he he was telling me memories about visiting Regent's Park Mosque when he was um, visit when he used to visit the UK. Because remember, I told you I had family who left Kenya for a variety of reasons um, decades yeah. ago before I was even born. And my dad would maybe come come visit the UK. It was very different back then. And he would talk, so he was telling me, "Oh yeah, you know Regent's Park, really interesting." And like um, he was telling me, "Oh, it's changed like this, or it's changed like that." So I mean, it's very it's very very. Um, you know, like you said, culturally diverse and um, very dynamic place for sure. The, the yeah, the reason why I ask is is just that I think Regent's Park is kind of an example of, uh, or maybe yeah, an example of of what what Islam in London can be like. In that, I think I think it's essentially run by Egyptian authorities, um, but it was funded by Saudi authorities, and everyone under the sun attends that. Everyone and there'd be multiple. Yeah. There was this great Zanzibari, like well, he's Zanzibari, but like um, he's had his impact all over the Swahili coast, right? like all over East Africa. 
um, scholar um, of like um, last century called Mwenye um, Baraka or hmm. also like his real name is Said um, Omar Abdullah but Mwenye Baraka in Swahili means like the person of you know Baraka and he had a really well, he lived in London at a point and he had a really good relationship as well with like Regent Spark and like um, I think Regent Spark is a really interesting place for sure like there's so much that can be said about it yeah, it's maybe slightly dilapidated over the years. Did you notice that? Ooh, I mean, yeah, it has character. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Um, and the other element of the London as well that's probably interesting as well is like food and halal food. And I know that you're quite the fan of a certain establishment. Should, should we name them? Or are we going to ask for endorsement? Uh, no, I think I think um, we'll ask for endorsement. So I think I, 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 I let me just put it this way: I like chicken. Yeah, I like <laughs> let's leave it like that. Yeah, so I mean, so it's really interesting because you know this stuff about halal food. I remember when I visited the UK when I was a kid, everybody was like, "Oh yeah, so it's um, fillet or fish." It's fillet, like everybody was just having fillet or fish because there was nothing. And then um, you know, Zoom a couple of years in in in, and then there's this other thing where like people in the UK would come to Kenya and they're like, oh man, yeah, let's because there's a lot of halal food here, and they're like, oh yeah, let's get halal burgers, let's get halal this, or they'd go to like places like Dubai, and then they'd come back to the UK and they'd have like halal um, like oh, halal yeah. McDonald's like in their in their um, carry on luggage, and then you, <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's what my family when I moved to the UK, my family like, oh man, he's probably just gonna eat like filet of fish or whatever and he's not going to get any halal food and i get there and like there's a chicken shop like on every street it was so yeah. interesting like like the way halal food has like and i as a, as an outsider have noticed like how it picked up really quickly recently i don't know what it was like for guys like you growing up i i remember isa told me his first um time ever going to uh um, was it a chicken cottage? And he even, like, he even knows it was a Friday, and it was after Friday prayers. No, I, I mean that that was because there was a period of time when, in the UK, like I think uh, Mishra can attest to this, like, like fast food was not really a thing. Like there was not like takeaway on things like that. So when you talked about, I remember when I was a kid, getting fast food meant like getting a margarita pizza from Pizza Hut. Or yeah, getting a fillet of fish from McDonald's, but then there was like that rapidly expanded into like the establishment of chicken shops, and every corner had a chicken shops, and every chicken shop was halal, and that came about really fast. It's interesting so, phenomenon, man. Yeah, but to to digress slightly, do you have like halal McDonald's in in Kenya? Is that a thing? We don't have McDonald's in Kenya. Oh, you don't have McDonald's at all. Okay, interesting. Yeah. We have and, KFC, and, other... and I had KFC like just now. Um, it was very nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed. It's halal. Um, halal KFC, halal Burger King. Um, what else that we, do we have that you guys know? Domino's. Yeah, halal Domino's. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, you don't, they're... you don't need, you don't need meat on a pizza anyway. You don't? No, I do eat meat on a pizza. No, it's just my opinion. You shouldn't put meat on a pizza. Mishrech uh, has this really funky idea that pizzas should not have any sort of meat. It should, I don't know what he thinks they should have on them, but it's so weird. What should it have on them? Vegetables. <laughs> Vegetables. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. See, this is the thing. We're <laughs> Kashmiri, so meat but, goes with everything. But like, but like, the vegetables are sides. 
Like when you when you go to Nando's and they ask you for sides, like the sides are usually vegetarian, like vegetable stuff. Like, like this, this has taken taken us into a deep tangent that uh, we could spend hours on. But, but um, we were, we're talking about like um, like your experience of halal food, and actually we've had this discussion discussion before. Oh yeah, and also that... we had Nando's growing up in Kenya, but then it shut down. So when I came to the UK, mm-hmm. I felt redeemed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but you've mentioned before that, despite the fact that there's quite an established Muslim community in Kenya, how much, what percentage of of Kenya would you say is Muslim, or maybe Nairobi is more more oh. accurate to talk about? Oh, Nairo- oh man, Nairo- how how much of Nairobi is Muslim? I oh, that's a tough one. I can't, you know, I can't answer either of these questions. And I was actually maybe thinking I can about do a search. It. No, no, I I wouldn't even believe the search. I would not <laughs> believe. I was talking to. Um, I don't know if you guys know Mustafa Briggs. Who am I kidding? You guys know Mustafa Briggs. But I was talking to yeah. Mustafa Briggs um, about this, and he says, yeah, even he has doubts about some of the um, searches, like some of the statistics regarding Muslim communities in West Africa and like their numbers and stuff. Because like um, I've seen numbers for the Muslim community ranging from like 5% of Kenya is Muslim to like 35% is Muslim. And this is like, uh, you know, like these are these are statistics. And then another one is like eleven percent are no, 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 fifteen percent are Muslim. No, it's it's twenty percent. So like, I I really have doubts about some of these statistics, especially when they're parts of the country that are like majority Muslim. And like the like for example, the Somali community in Kenya is like the second largest Somali community in the world, and um, you know, it's the largest outside Somalia, and they're all Muslim. And like, it's one of the largest ethnic communities in Kenya as well. So I mean I I I I I and uh, I have feelings that, that that there are like problems with like censuses and you do have problems with censuses in like developing countries and so I mean I I'm just not like buying into but if I if if I should give you an estimate it's definitely below 40% but um how low it is I don't think it's 5% or anything like that so I had a bit of a Google search just giving up different results, but exactly, what, exactly. what, so I think, in, so in the UK, we're about 5% of the population yeah. and in Kenya, significantly more. Sure. But what I was going to, what I was, what I was going to touch on was in fact that you were talking about halal meat and the halal authorities and kind of the process behind certification. And you were actually saying that in fact, Kenya is probably behind the UK in terms of that process. And you were kind of a bit wary about eating halal food in Kenya sometimes, um, and so that was an interesting uh, thing. So, uh, what was your experience like when you arrived to the UK and you saw all these stickers on the doors and it said HMC and HFA and people were telling you, oh, this chicken has been electrocuted, don't have this brother, fear Allah. How, what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even think that that was like the, the first thing that I noticed that was odd. I think the first thing that I noticed that was odd was that like, non-muslim people were so paranoid and concerned about halal and like oh yeah it's not as like you know there's there are these screams of oh it's not ethical or it's not this or like i don't want to eat halal because i am a christian and i feel uncomfortable like you have none of this kind of stuff from like non-muslims in kenya it's so strange this like um this tension i, I, I it's such, such an odd tension like like i i remember meeting somebody from europe and i, was, I told them that like oh yeah um 
Kenya has a large Muslim population, but it has also a large Christian population. And he looked at me like those two things are antithetical. Like you cannot have a large Christian population and a large Muslim population. And the, the fact is that the Christian population are very outwardly Christian and very like strong on their on their Christianity. I did not see any of that in the UK, although the UK calls itself a Christian country, right? An official Christian country. Kenya doesn't. But at the same time, like you don't get... So I yeah, this is what I found really weird. Like... um people were like getting worked up about halal. Like I, at first I was like, why is it any of their business? Like about halal. And then, yeah, later on this whole electrocution stuff. And I think the electrocution stuff then. Um, <laughs> I love how you were calling it electrocution stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know what, what to, what to call it. The stunning maybe. Stunning. Stunning. Okay. Fine. The stunning. Yeah. The stunning. Yeah. This whole stunning story. Um, came like I think this whole stunning story then naturally came out after this whole oh it's not ethical it's not this it's not that and then I I do remember some people saying oh yeah um the proceeds from halal goes to ISIS and I was like no it, I don't think that's true so yeah it was it was just really confusing and as you can tell I'm still slightly confused so yeah <laughs> it was all very confusing with like this HMC stunning and like I mean I. I was always just thought that halal is halal and like like there was never any discussion about it around it. So yeah, it was it was weird. All these things were really weird. Some of these things honestly were so strange that I had never actually even thought of. Um yeah. in, in like, you know, in Kenya. Did you find did you find it more accessible to get halal food that you could trust in the UK or I think so because there's like um first of all, generally in the UK you might have better um legislation. Right, uh, yeah. and this is just—I mean, not not to not to bang on Kenya, but I think it's just as a result of like a developed country and like you know um, uh, more what's that word scrutiny, but also accountability, as opposed to like um, you know in developing countries there's a lot of like sadly sad to say there's a lot of like you know dodgy things happening behind the scenes and there's not a lot of scrutiny and not a lot of accountability and then in like these and this is also a bad thing but like it could also be a good thing that in some of these developed countries like the uk or the us you have like this real strong urge to have like high high customer satisfaction right so like for example um in kenya like if the customer asks you know is it halal and the guy goes yeah it's halal and like there's there's there really isn't that like next level attempt to like please the customer so he can stay but in the UK you know they'll 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 we have certificates in Kenya too don't get me wrong but like in the UK they'll they'll tell you like they'll, they'll go into the depths of it like oh yeah it's halal here's our certificate or um actually our chicken is halal we get it from here but our this isn't halal but then don't worry because we have a halal kitchen and we use different knives and we so like i think um that did give me a sense of, um, uh, you know, like a sense of comfort and security. Like, I mean, generally also other things where you have like these um, inspections and then they, they stick the inspection stuff on the, like on the, on the glass. Oh, this kitchen is a three out of five or this kitchen is a, is a, I, I don't know what that, that institute was called, that organization. It's like this green sticker. And like, um, I think uh, I'm not sure of the actual name, yeah, but I, but I understand what you, you know mean. What yeah, I, there's there's a whole certification process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like all that stuff, all that stuff. Yeah, and and then uh, 
when you've when you were at university and you've had you've had kind of two separate experiences once one's one on a postgraduate level and then also undergraduate how, how did you find like the, the ISOC experience and interacting with other muslims we've had a we've done a whole episode on our experiences um no, i love that episode with, I, with our, <laughs> I have so much to share what, what did you what did you what did you think about our thoughts maybe and then we can kind of bounce around a few ideas well so, i was really i was really impressed that isa can make cheesecakes <laughs> and, uh, if you're listening to this for the first time go back and listen to that was that episode number two uh it's been so long i think it's yeah, episode two yeah episode two. Uh, that episode yeah. was really cool like some of the stuff that you said about like um uh some of the strange experiences that you guys had like you know when you go to the isoc and you're reading something and then somebody goes like you know what are you reading and you isa was like oh it's this 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 and then somebody goes you know what's a better book the quran and like um yeah i i do feel like there was a degree of like um i don't fit okay but you know let me let me start from my talking about my religious journey i think that's a that's a better place to start so let's go back to that first day where i was like um looking for the islamic society i was just really really interested in like learning my deen and mm. i didn't really care for who i made friends with at that point in my life do you know what i mean i think it was very important for me to make muslim friends especially because um of fresher stuff you know what i mean like oh everyone's running off drinking everyone's doing this everyone's uh you know debauchery and and um what am i gonna do you know like so i it was nice to make muslim friends but more importantly for me was i wanted to just like learn this muslim stuff um so i joined societies to learn about the deen and so there were these two isocs that i joined like the isoc and then the medina society that was um that was more about doing certain events than then they told me they broke off from the main isoc but like they still keep have good relationships with them and stuff so what i really liked about the isoc is that i got to meet muslims and this is i think just something peculiar to the isoc in the university of manchester the isoc in the university of manchester actually has um a really good reputation in the uk um compared to some of the other isocs not to say that other isocs don't have a good reputation but university of manchester had a great reputation especially at that point but like compared to the to the isoc that i went to in where i studied my um my degree my second degree in in um london one thing i really liked about the one at the university of manchester is it was really diverse so that i got i got to meet brothers from brunei I got to meet brothers from Algeria. I got to meet brothers, and I, I'm I'm a, I'm a guy who loves learning about other cultures. I'm like this really international-minded guy, so it was really cool to meet Muslims from other countries, or like even if they were local from the UK, um, they may have had like Lebanese background or you know this background or that background. So I thought it was re- I thought that was cool, um, and I feel like I was seen as like this. Um, interesting quirky guy especially at the shining because i was um i was like the only kenyan there there were a lot of kenyans at my uni but i don't and i think they were muslims as well but i think i was the only one who um would attend isoc events and i didn't attend isoc events too much i attended them a little bit because i was more interested in seeking knowledge and stuff and when there were some of these other events i was like do i really need to go and play fifa like i could be using my time doing other things I think I I think people like me because they found out like oh this guy's from Kenya and then they start asking me questions about Kenya like you know the 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 the, the questions of like you know oh do you have like 
lions in your background or do you have like how often do you see wild animals and you know those kind of questions <laughs> yeah and and then there was also the questions that i mentioned earlier oh so if you're from africa why aren't you you know like that 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 question um yeah. i found it i found it hard a little bit to like um adapt to like the british banter they were, I, i could tell like they were people were out there like having fun making jokes i couldn't i did not understand what the humor was i couldn't like relate to that but i was just i just wanted to make to, to, to meet people so um but later on as 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 i developed my time in the uk and as i like um got to like understand the culture i um started seeing things in isox that i think that you guys also mentioned so for example it was yeah. very difficult for them to like attract people i i remember like um there were some muslims who didn't even know there was an isoc and um yeah 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 there 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 was also some like real weird behavior between like brothers and sisters like there's i think isocs have this like reputation it's a negative reputation that like oh people just go to isoc to get married right yeah i i noticed, <laughs> I, i noticed that i noticed that and i found that really weird um well the the the, the, the interesting thing about isocs is that at the end of the day it's an institution run by essentially kids like very much the so. oldest you're pro- um if you're if you're on um if you're a mature student then you're not really involved in the isoc on that level and you would never actually be nominated for leadership which is interesting as well um so like the leader of of the isoc can literally be he's a 19-year-old kid and he's kind of commanding on his other kids the other kids in the in the um isoc to do certain things and it's just it's just a bit of a a weird experience in in that mature i i noticed like um there there was some immaturity in 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 the sense of like um the way some of the men were perceiving some of the girls and like like i i don't want to use this word but like there was also some degree of misogyny as well like i f- i found it really like like oh these guys were like oh yeah now we're we're muslim brothers and we have to behave like this and then when we go and then when they go out those same girls they just talk to them like it's normal but then when they go when they go into the isoc mode suddenly they're like these really like oh muslim brothers we lower our gaze like i i was, I was to me it was kind of it was kind of strange like you know like it felt like people were putting up this front yeah yeah so i i think i think that comes from yeah that that kind of not not being comfortable with authority and and having authority the first time and, not, and being not not being too sure about how you should handle things um and then so you kind of got, got like uh, if you're given leadership um at such a young age you're not quite sure how you how you would utilize it to, to the best advantage and maybe you're 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 going too hardline on things that you probably don't completely understand Very and then that kind hard. of it kind of creates the environment that, that a lot of people experience But did you actually feel as though like you weren't able to get involved in events and things like that or was it just a case of maybe you weren't even interested in that kind of thing you just wanted to hang out how did you did you feel welcomed i guess the question is when i was in the university of manchester i felt welcomed when i went to the university um in london it was a very disturbing experience like it was very strange everybody was from the same ethnic group and like um nobody greeted you you walk in like to pray and like i could feel people staring at you um like like they, they they were just talking in whispers and then when i would hear the kind of things that they were talking about it was not very mm. nice it was like very like um exclusivist 
um, judgmental towards other Muslims. And like, I, I, I just felt like that's not an, a way that an Islamic society should behave. What, what, one thing I like about ISOCs, um, I, to give them credit, is that like th- these things, these initiatives like Charity Week, I think these are really beautiful initiatives. And I think that like the ISOC that I, st- that I went to in like the University of Manchester, like their, their um, charitable efforts was, were really co- um, commendable. And like a lot of the camaraderie came out at that time. And like a lot of the you know positive spirit came out at that time, but some of the stuff that I felt that they were like really ineffective with, and I think it it comes from that immaturity that you mentioned was like some of the da'wah stuff that they did. So like there was this mm. thing where, and I, I used to watch this even when I was a kid in high school about people in the UK doing these things, and I just thought it was so strange. Where like um, they, and they did this as well with my university, like they 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 did recordings of this where um, basically they find some non-Muslim person walking on the street and they're like, okay, hey, can you listen to this? Do you have a, do you have a minute? And then they give you like an, like a, you know, like an, like a, like an ear pod and the person puts it on and he, then what the person does is like, um, they record him, his reaction. They start, playing some, they start playing some Quran for like maybe a few ayahs and then they ask the person, so how did you feel? How did this make you feel? And I was, the entire time I was thinking, what's the purpose of this? Like I don't know what this I don't know what they're trying to do, and then the person goes, "Oh, I felt sad, oh, I felt very peaceful, I felt like he was singing in a very calm way, and then the person goes off, and then they have like um another thing that they did was like they had these like um dawa boots, and I think it's a really beautiful thing where like you can just sit down and ask a Muslim a question. I think that's a really great initiative, but like I think that that's something that needs to be exercised where like ISO people should genuinely and generally and organically mix with non-muslims so that they can do that i i mixed with more non-muslims than i did with 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 muslims i felt like iso people were kind of like okay we're the iso people we can only be with the iso people and when iso people would see me with like non-iso people like um or non-muslim people like out and about they'd kind of like like look at me like isn't he that guy who why is he talking to those guys i feel like you you can't do dawah if if you don't you know speak to people. But at the same time, these people started s- setting up like ask a Muslim any question, and this is really dangerous because I was there and I saw the questions that they were getting were like really really tough questions and like really like some of them were leading questions, some of them were really hard questions, and they didn't know how to how to answer it. So I think I think ISOCs need to like um, reevaluate the way. They do community outreach. And then also to Muslims who, who may not be very practicing. So like I said, I mentioned that like um, there's this one Muslim guy that I knew who um, unfortunately had um, really bad habits, right? So he um, like he's, he told me he's Muslim and like um, he believes and stuff, but he would like, you know, party and like, you know, drink and stuff like that. Um, and I mentioned something about the Islamic society and he goes, there's an Islamic society. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, but what do they do? See, because to this guy, like having fun is about like, you know, going out, you know, drinking, doing this, doing that. And so ISOX do tend to try and have like um, fun events, you know, paintballing or like brothers football or brothers FIFA. Or I, I, I do feel like some of these, these typical ideas are a bit limited, but at least they're, at least they're ideas and at least they're in a halal environment. Right. I think what really makes the what really makes the event worth attending though isn't what the event is, but it's about who's going. 
And if the ISOC brothers are accommodating to like, and when I say accommodating, I don't mean that like I they're okay with anything goes, but they're they open up their 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 spaces for people to come in, not feel judged, and then they can feel you know welcomed, and then that that can have a positive transformative experience on them. If 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 ISOC get people were to do this. It would be far more effective than like um, you know going to like a like a go ape or like a trampoline park or stuff like that. Yeah, self righteousness. I I stayed away because look, like I mentioned, I was I had one intention and one intention only. Making friends was secondary. My intention was just to study this dean. I just wanted to learn what this this Islam stuff was all about. Whether the ISOC gave me that that help or not is another story because i would also go to other places to try and get this um but like when i saw like a lot of the self-righteous like um behavior among some certain isoc brothers although i'm somebody who prays and i i do xyz i just i couldn't relate it was just really hateful because yeah. i have friends that they were judging i uh, there's there's another interesting observation observation that you made is is that you mentioned that you are an international student and and that's interesting to me in terms of for my observations of Muslims who are international students who came to the UK, um, it was quite troubling actually because a lot of them went like totally overboard. And from the stories that I've heard of people that I know and people that I don't know, that they did some kind of <laughs> let's put it lightly, like some pretty haram stuff. And um, I always thought, I've always felt as well that that the ISOC or some kind of institution should be put in place to help these international students when they come over to the UK to guide them in the right direction, et cetera. Because I think it, it can, it can be quite a troubling experience. It can be like a, like a world of, uh, a world of fitness for them when they're coming into the UK. Um, did you, did you ever like notice that? In- I have a feeling that some of these people come for reasons like this. So like, um, yeah. I, have, I, have, I have so much to share. Like, okay. So for instance, I noticed that some brothers from certain countries and um, I don't know if I want to name those countries, but like, I, just because I don't want to like judge everybody from there. But like, yeah, there were some certain brothers who'd come from certain countries. You'd never see those guys at the ISOCs. But like, the people who were from those countries originally, so like a British uh, Nananani, <laughs> uh, yeah, a British Nananani who was like really keen on going to the ISOC, but a Nananani who came from Nananan was like not coming to the ISOC. And I think it's because the British Nananani grew up in a non-Muslim society such that he feels like, okay, I need to do something to hold on to my deen. And uh, mm. Nananani, it's a really, it's, it's a very simplified dichotomy, but like, essentially, it might be like, okay, now I want to experience these things I never experienced growing up as a kid. So let me go and party and do all sorts of like, um, haram stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. But at the same time, there was some there were many Muslim brothers who came from other Muslim countries um like fresh from them not not like the british um you know Malaysian or Indonesian or um Lebanese or whatever, but they came from those countries and they would attend the isoc so I think it does depend on the on 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 the country and it does depend on the individual and at the same time, I think the like what you said is very true um about about like the ISOCs reaching out to internationals or reaching out to like these nationals. So for example, I I remember finding an Arab sock, and so um, I go to I, I rock oh, up. Gosh. To the Arab sock. 
I, I, I'm not going to say anything. I woke up to the Arab sock and I see like, okay, it's an Arab sock. It's like all these North African countries and Levantine countries. And, you know, the people seem friendly. The people seem cool. So I, um, I you know, I'm just being friendly. And like I mentioned, I love different cultures. I love different um, uh, ethnicities and different traditions. And I just want to make friends with everyone. I don't care. One thing I noticed about people in the UK is that there's a lot of compartmentalization. And I think this is a very British thing. Like I genuinely think it's a byproduct of colonialism where like um, the, the uh, you know, like colonial bureaucracies wanted to like um, compartmentalize uh, ethnic groups or like social groups um, to, to, to prevent them from mixing and stuff like, and this is something that I think I, I, I attribute to my Kenyan background that I never really had that, kind of um, upbringing. Actually, growing up, most of my friends were non-Muslim. I had Muslim friends, and I knew Muslims, but I think up to the age of 18, I didn't have um, a Muslim best friend up to, like, the age of 18 or 19. I know it sounds weird. Mm. And I remember, like, um, I was at an event uh, last last um, last October, and I met this really old uncle in Kenya, in Kenya. And this uncle, um, I started chatting with him, and immediately I recognized he's from Manchester because I recognized the accent. So I go, oh, are you, Man- are you from Manchester? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm Kenyan, actually. I left Kenya, and I moved to Manchester, and um, I live my, the rest of my life there, but I, I, I visit and stuff. And then we started talking about, like, our, our um, you know, our culture and how it's different from there. And he, one thing he mentioned is, like, yeah, he says, people are like, oh, if you're, if you're an Asian, if you're a Muslim, like, this is other Asian Muslims saying to him in the UK, he's like, why are you friends with, like, Hindus and Sikhs? Like, that's that's weird. Like, over here, it's it's not really like that. So, yeah, like I said, um, Arab society. I walk up to the Arab society and I, you know, I say, oh, you know, hello, how are you? What's, what's up? Um, I, I signed up, even though I didn't go. And then I asked the guy, so are you Muslim? And the guy goes, yes, I'm Muslim. And I can see this, like, hesitation on his face. And then I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, then I bounce. And then I, I, I meet some guy from the ISOC and he's like, the ISOC table is like opposite this this booth. And I go, he goes, oh, I asked him, where are you from? And he goes, I'm Palestinian. And I go, okay, so do you go to the Arab SOC? And he says, no, I don't. And I'm like, oh, why don't you go to the Arab SOC? Because it's un-Islamic. And I'm like, okay, okay, all right. Mm. So like, I think that ISOCs should reach out to like people in these national slash cultural Muslim societies, um, you know, just I guess just... it's like yeah. Go on. Is 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 that kind of cl- classic clash between national ad- identity and religious identity and culture in between? But I think there's an avenue there where you reach, you can reach across to the aisle in under the kind of guise of you know. Of I mean, I met uh, bring them in, yeah. people from ISOC at the same time who are very proud of like their 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 their, their um, cultural heritage. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm my my so and so is from Syria, and like I'm really I'm a proud Syrian as well. So I really don't like I don't know why what's stopping ISOC people from yeah out internationals and stuff like that. There's also this mentality okay. that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. No, no, go ahead. There, there is yeah. also this mentality that I really don't like amongst like second or third generation um, non-Brits. And it's mainly, I think, I've seen it a lot with Asians, but I've also seen it somewhat with Arabs. A little less with Arabs, but mainly with Asians. But they, they sort of look down upon um, their own folk from their native... Like, there's this term that they use called freshie. I hate that term, man. I hate... I, like, oh, so-and-so's a freshie, so he's like this, so he's like that. Like, I really don't like it. Because 
weirdly enough, like um, the same things you're judging these international people for, your grandparents and your parents were judged for this as well when they came to the UK. So like, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, some of this in the ISOC. It's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory in in that your your parents or your grandfather is also a freshie, so maybe you should reconsider what you accuse people of being. But um, kind of uh, we're re- reaching like an hour, and nearly an hour and a half now. So to kind of sum- summarize your experience, so what I've kind of um, assessed from your experience in the UK, it's had its positive, it's had its negatives. But essentially, you spent your formative years in the UK uh, from from the age of eighteen until something around your twenties or something. Um, what was your what's kind of overall assessment of of living in the UK? Has it been? Do you think it's over, overall helped you, or do you think it's been a hindrance to your development? I think it's helped me a lot. Like, I, I mean, I would I would recommend it to everyone to like live live out like leave home, explore. Um, experience Islam in other countries, um, you know, like experience different cultures. Like, I mean, I, 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 I cannot say how that would have, how any of this would be a hindrance to me. I, if anything, like, I mean, if you're a Muslim, like, you. obviously, yeah, if you're, if you're a Muslim, always know that, like, um, you know, your, your, your deen has things, has guidelines, has rules of things that you can and can't do. But other than that, like, what, what's stopping you from, like, um, you know, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the, in the Quran that like we've created you into like, you know, nations and tribes to know one another. Like you should, you should go out and, you know, get to know your fellow, fellow people. And I'll tell you something, getting to know other people whom you've never known or like other cultures that you've never known teaches you so much more about yourself than you would ever have thought it would. Like I learned. Would you say, so- yeah. would you say it's kind of strengthened your, your religiosity or? Has it strengthened my re- religiosity? I don't know. Um, I mean, um, wh- okay, why would you say that it would have strengthened my religiosity? Like, what do you mean by this question? No, I, I guess the, the one the question that was b- behind that question was that you were living in Kenya, which is, um, you could say, a more Islamic country, and then you came to the UK. But I was thinking perhaps you've increased your 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 religiosity under quotation marks um, in the UK. Would you say that's accurate? Because that would be interesting because you're actually moving to a country that's quote unquote less religious. Um, I think I would say that I have increased my religiosity in, in, in Alhamdulillah in general, but I think it was very um, deliberate. Like I left this country, like um, I was coming into, you could say this like, um, spiritual come intellectual although i don't think that there's a really a dichotomy between like spiritual and intellectual awakening and i was i was thinking okay look whether i'm going to london or manchester or riyadh or jeddah or washington dc i this is this is something that i wanted like if i was if i was in las vegas i would seek i would have wanted to seek out the muslims there and like learn whatever i could or like you know, hold on to my deen as as, as well as I could. I, I it was very deliberate for me to you know come into my religiosity. It's not something I just stumbled upon. Um, I yeah. sought these things out, and I know that there were that there are people who want to seek these things out, and they and they and they and they can't. They know they want to seek it out. They're confused. Some of them don't know that they want to seek it out, but inside, everyone's seeking it out. It's your fitra, and that's why I think I have this. I have a lot of tolerance for like 
uh, I want to call them misfit Muslims or Muslims who are like um, who, who, who who are in a lot of struggle because I know what they're seeking, and like they have a lot of difficulties and stuff. But like I I I understand they're like um, you know searching for something. And I think that's what Bahath is all about. You guys are searching, like because that's what we're all doing. We're searching. Some people might, yeah. might, yeah. Some people might be searching for um, the wrong thing. Something people might be searching for the right thing. And you know, like the 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 first hadith in um, you know uh, the forty hadith of Imam Nawawi, like actions are by intentions. You know, you you'll get what you're looking for. I I came to the UK looking for my Deen, and um, Alhamdulillah, I think I am one step closer to finding it. Like um, even though I went to a country that you could say is less religious. Yeah, that's interesting. So Mwindi, who went to the home of the empire to seek mm. Islam. Yeah, well, Muazzam, um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Always enlightening, thrilling, and exciting to speak with someone and also to hear your your perspective of things. It's, it's actually interesting because the way in which we've kind of communicated over the podcast, people would think that we've probably met each other quite a few times, but We've, I've only actually met you once and that wasn't even kind of an in-depth interaction. It was in a wedding, which was quite noisy and we probably talked for about 20 minutes or so, but through the use of the internet. We, um, we had dinner together in, at, that, at that wedding. Yeah, maybe like an hour or something and, it, and you, were, you were on the other side of the table. So, <laughs> But it's interesting because obviously we've we become quite good friends as well and it's just through the use of the internet. Yeah, man, the internet's a huge blessing. Like, I mean... Um, there, it's brought a lot of bad, but like it's brought a lot of good. Like, um, what can you say? It's um, uh, yeah. utilize everything you have for good, man. Just search as much good as you can in this world before you die. Yeah, certainly. And as, as a as a finishing uh, on, on a final note, um, if anybody wanted to follow you or check out the stuff that you're involved with, uh, I know that you're involved with Sacred Footsteps and kind of the wonderful wonderful work that they're doing. Um, where can they check you out? Yeah, I mean, Sacred Footsteps, you can follow our um, Instagram, that's Sacred Footsteps, and our um, Facebook of the same name. And you can catch us on Twitter, that's S Footsteps. And uh, my personal um, Instagram handle is Muazzam, um, that's M-U-A-Z-Z-A-M dot Mir, M-I-R. Yeah. Are you, are you still doing your film reviews? I haven't um you know i think that this podcast has inspired me i so okay basically for those who don't know and i think people have people just have just not found out i am a film reviewer and um i have been doing like a lot of film reviews on um on this radio show uh in south africa like film reviews of like popular movies less popular movies from a muslim perspective but um i also have my own film review blog called Real Talk Blog. That's real as in R-E-E-L. And I haven't put anything out in two years, which is exactly the same as the podcast. So I think now this is going to motivate <laughs> me for, to, to finally get down and um, write something. So inshallah, st- um, stay tuned for that. Inshallah. And we'll, we'll seek your counsel in regards to the introduction, the movie scene. Um, we'll, we'll have those discussions and, and so the listeners will, will have already heard your, your selection. Okay. Well, um, to all the listeners that are listening in to the podcast, thanks so much for your time. As usual, um, we're always publishing on the website, uh, bahath.co, B-A-H-A-T-H 
Co. We've got some interesting articles uh, coming out soon. Uh, we'll be continuing with the podcast, so please uh, check us out there. And of course, on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram handle, which is at Bahathmag, um, feel free to check out our work there. We're regularly posting content on there. So, Jazakallah khairan for your time, uh, Mazam, and uh, Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah.